factors when we did that analysis that correlates with retention are all emotional. I feel like I have mm. job security came out as number one. Yeah. If you go from I don't enjoy my job yeah. to I enjoy my work, the retention percentage doubles. Wow, doubles. It's like it goes from from in the 30s to in the 70s. So clearly joy matters, enjoying work yeah. matters more than you would think. Yeah. Companies need to start thinking about employees like they think about customers. So you would right. never, you know, say, "Here's the one product I have to sell, take it or leave it." Today, it is my great pleasure to host TED speaker and Boston Consulting Group managing director Debbie Lovick. Debbie has done a ton of research on making work work, and since top talent is up to 10 times more productive, our discussion today delves into what truly drives joy at work and its profound impact on employee retention and effectiveness. It's an extra long episode towards the close of our second season of the Future Work podcast, which I hope you enjoy. So let's dive in. Hey, Debbie, thanks so much for being on. Thanks for having me. I want to start with a topic that's nearest and dearest to my heart, which is workplace happiness. And I saw that you've actually been researching what drives joy at work. So maybe can you share some of those findings and also what can companies and leaders do to bring that to the people? So, yeah, I mean, like all these questions you get about the future of work and flexible work and what I call making work work are all about tell me, you know, are people productive or not? Are people productive or not? And, you know, we took a look actually just, you know, to explore like what does productivity have to do with retention? And we're still in a tight labor market globally. Like it's in the U.S. it's hovered between 1.8, 1.4 jobs per job seeker. Right. And that's assuming mm. a perfect match. So there is a tight yeah. labor market still, maybe not as tight as it was the great resignation, but so people should care about retention. And by the way, even if the labor market wasn't tight, we all know a high performing employee is worth anywhere from four to 10 times an average one. So, so we wanted mm. to look at what drove retention. So we did um, a quick survey. It's not published yet, but so you're getting advanced info, um, but hopefully we'll get it out soon. Um, it's what I call my, uh, what the flex survey. Right. I have. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. And um, we ask people, do they enjoy their jobs and Mm. are they effective at their jobs? Right. So as Mm. a proxy for joy and productivity. And what we saw is if you compare people who say they're not effective to people who are effective, those Mm. who are effective are more likely to stay with the company. So it does lower the attrition risk. But it's like you get a mm. fi- like a five point boost, not a big deal. Okay, like, you know, mm. like you know, five points. Okay, five percent more will stay. But if you go from we, you know, you take the low joy, I don't enjoy my job, yeah. to I enjoy my work, the retention percentage doubles. Wow, wow, doubles. And so I'm not surprised that people who enjoy their work, you know, mm. want to stay. Like, of course, if you like your job, you'll want to stay. But the fact yeah. that it doubles, literally doubles, like it goes from, um, you know, we ask people, are you looking for a new job? And so the percent mm. that reply, no, I'm not looking, goes from in the 30s to in the 70s, right? Wow. So, and if you go from I'm not effective wow. to I'm effective, it goes from like yeah. 
33 to 38. You know? Wow. And okay. so, so clearly joy matters and joying work yeah. matters more than you would think. Yeah. You know, if someone says like, okay, I enjoy my job. What is underneath that? Like, what can people do to get people to say that? So we looked at a couple of things. So one, mm. like not all work is equal. So we actually, yeah. in the survey, broke down types of work. So you have focus work, admin work, interactive mm. work, you know, overseeing work, um, administrative work, right? So we broke out types yeah. of work. Both, we asked them joy and productivity overall, but then we also said, okay, yeah. admin work. How effective are you at it? Um, mm. How much do you enjoy it? Uh, yeah. How much time did you spend on it last week? Because if you just <laughs> ask time in general, they'll get it wrong, right? So go look at yeah. your calendar. Um, and we also yeah. said, where are you most effective, home or at work, mm. remote or work? Because we mm. wanted to test some of those things. And what we found, if you correlate joy with an individual task, with overall mm. joy, it's fascinating. So for individual contributors, if they enjoy their focus work, their mm. affiliation and culture work, and their interactive work, they will enjoy work, right? Mm. Um, and what you saw in the data is that individual contributors spend about almost 30%, 29% of their time on admin work. And admin work would include things like email and what's in that bucket? You know, filling in forms, taking care of logistics, <laughs> like admin work, mostly email, I think, to be honest. Wow. And so the takeaway is if you want to drive joy, you better make focus work, affiliation and culture and interactive work more joyful. And so, mm. you know, and then we took it a step further and we asked people like, okay, when you can't do your work effectively, what gets in the way? Mm. And there are things like, I'm too, like, I'm too distracted. I spend too much time waiting mm. for others. I'm not motivated. The work I do is needlessly complex, right? So we, we I don't have the right yeah. tools. And we asked them a bunch of things. And what we found was the things most correlated to joy and mm. therefore most correlated to retention was motivation. I'm not motivated mm. to do the work. I'm not, you know, I don't have enough support. The work I okay. do is needlessly complex. You know, I'm uh. not given tasks that suit my skill set. So you could start right. to peel apart and see the types of things that drive joy. Yeah. And if you look at it, a lot of it is in the hand of the manager. I was just going to say, like, almost all of those sound very manageable, right? In terms of, like, not making the work overly complex and making sure people have the right support and get the right task assigned. Yes. And so there's another piece of research that we did this time with 11,000 employees around the world. So a larger study, again, we're just writing it up. It's going to come out next week. But we found very similar findings and what correlated there to staying at work. So we asked, you know, one of my big messages that relationship between employee and employer have fundamentally changed, right? Yeah. And companies need to start thinking about employees like they think about customers. So you would right. never you know, say, here's the one product I have to sell, take it or leave it, um, mm. you know, and only use price as a mechanism to drive volume mm. as a 
you know, as a company selling to customers. You would do deep customer discovery, closet teardowns, conjoint analysis, max diff, segmentation, personalization, design thinking, customer journeys, right? You would do all that stuff. And yet when it comes to shaping work to meet what right. our employees want, we're like, here's one flavor. And, and not only that, right. when we do our research, we do a once a year engagement study and we ask people how mm. they feel about a bunch of things. Right? right, and so we did a piece of research that's with these eleven thousand employees. That's fascinating. So first, we said, okay, if you were to look for a new job, or if you were to take a new job at a new company, mm. what are the most important things that would drive you mm. to take a new job? Yeah. So number yeah. one, pay. Number two, benefits. Number three, hours. Number four, work I enjoy, I care mm. about, mm. and number five, career opportunities, better career opportunities. Yeah. So mm. four out of those fives are what we call functional factors, right? Mm-hmm. Pay, and that's, you know, you could pay more and more and more. But you don't, mm. you don't um, come up with new products by asking customers what they want. There's like, yeah. I'm, I'm old enough, Dan, to remember when we first got the Walkman, you know, the Sony Walkman <laughs> right. from the yep. 80s. Um, and you know, there was big, you know, takeaway that no one could have described a Walkman. I want a record player that I could roller skate with. Yes. If only. Right. Right. If only, (laughs) but you know, someone innovated it and they looked at needs and, and so when we apply that methodology to employees, so we did the same thing. We said, okay, you have two jobs with two different characteristics or three different characteristics, Mm. choose between them. You have some more choice, Mm. like conjoint analysis. So choose, choose, choose. So when you do Mm. that max diff analysis, what's fascinating is pay is still number one, better work-life balance in hours, which was three, if you ask, moves up to number two. But the Mm. rest, are all emotional they jump up feeling fairly Mm. treated feeling respected feeling like i have job security doing work that i enjoy those Mm. all jump up so what this tells you is if you want someone to apply for a job you have to have the pay right and the hours right if you want someone to take the offer you still need to have the pay in the hours but you have to convey in the interview process um these emotional factors right yeah but then we took the analysis one step further bear with me, and we correlated all the different factors, emotional and functional, Mm. or like 20 plus of them, against Mm. um, intention to stay. Yeah, which again, retention is really important, as you said, because it saves the company a lot of money. Saves the company a lot of money, and you also experience walks out the door. So it's not just the hiring cost and the Mm-hmm. Um, turnover and the job that's open and getting people up to speed, mm-hmm. you know, if uh, like, you know, 20 year old scotch leaves, you can't like brew a new one in five minutes, right? Like you've, I, that's a bad analogy, right? But, um, and so the factors when we did that analysis that correlates with retention are all emotional. I feel like I have Mm. job security came out as number one, like not feeling you're Mm. going to get fired any minute, right? Fairly treated and respected, doing work I enjoy, Mm. valued and appreciated, feeling supported, like someone has your back, Mm. right? Pay drops to number 15 when it comes to retention, right? So you've got to, you can't take a salary cut. Like the way I read into it is you have to be competitive on pay, but 
you're not going to yeah. differentiate on pay because that's yeah. not sustainable because yeah. then there's just a you know salary arms race mm-hmm. but you could def- differentiate on how you make people feel okay mm-hmm. so now your next question is going to be so how do you make people feel respected and enjoy and appreciate and all that well yeah <laughs> we analytically approach that we like data at bcg uh-huh. So we did like a correlation with like 300 other factors in this big survey. And we okay. found the four things that matter the most. The four okay. things that matter the most. Number one, as we talked about with my other data set, is I am satisfied with my manager. Right? It makes total wow. sense intuitively. But number one. Number two, I have access to resources to help me be successful. Right. Mm. That could be training. That could be tools. Right. That Right. But I have access to research. Number three, really fascinating, is everyone has a fair and equal chance to succeed. DE&I. Mm. No matter where yeah. I come from, which gets to remote work, too, by the way, because mm-hmm. people are like, oh, I'm missing out on the hallway opportunities to, yep. you know, schmooze with the leadership. No, everyone mm. needs to have a fair. If if you're a company that you got to be schmoozing to get promoted, right? There's a problem, right? That's what this yeah. tells you. And then the last one is someone senior at work actively supports me, right? You Incredible. have a mentor. Mm. You have one who has has your back. So it starts to tell you, right? It's the manager. It's the manager, right? right? I mean, there are a bunch the of manager things. matters. Yeah, the manager matters. That's exactly the title I put on the slide with that data. I actually put the manager really matters. Really matters, yes. Right, really matters. So it's really important. Beautiful. Very, very important. So this is a good kind of call to action, obviously, for people in those roles to really think about, you know, I'm actually very important. Then what are some things that they can put into play? So what are things that... You know, if we wake up on Monday morning and we want to do things differently and we want to bring more joy and therefore retain people better, like what are some things that I can I can put into effect? What I would do right away is mm. figure out what a great manager looks like in your organization, right? What I wouldn't say is go out and buy a textbook or or go to a course on how to be a great manager, right? That's yeah. like saying you get in shape by watching an exercise video from the couch or... If you know, only, if, if only. Yes, or going to a spa for a week. So what we encourage people to do is find your best managers. And, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes it's word of mouth and mm-hmm. best first-line managers, you know, the ones who are at the rock mm-hmm. face of joy, yeah. the day-to-day for the most people. Yeah. They could be people with the best retention, the best productivity, mm-hmm. the best safety record. Like, you know, mm-hmm. who are the people who are delivering both joy and productivity? Find them. Yeah. And then yeah. do the ethnography, you know, mm. do the closet teardown of great managers. Yeah. And yeah. Figure What's your out, secret? Yeah. How do you do it? And you know what? They won't be able to tell you because it comes naturally. Right. So you literally yeah. have to follow them and then follow an yeah. average manager. And you will mm. see with total clarity mm. the bazillion things they do differently. Right. Mm. They spend time out on the floor or they spend time you know, randomly picking up the phone and calling people. When they talk to people, they ask them about the kids. They remember the kids' names. Mm. When they see a work product that's great, they send an email and saying, oh, my God, Debbie, Dan, that work you did together, amazing. Or even better yet, yeah. they pick up the phone and call them, right? Mm. When, when they see something that's not good, 
they call mm. and they ask questions. They don't yell, right? Like yeah. they manage their time. So they're coaching, not doing, right? So mm. you will find different variations of that, but it's important to find it in your own organization because then once you find it, once you have that picture of what great manager looks like, then mm. you have to positively infect everyone else with that, right? Like you yeah. have to copy and mm. paste it into everyone's DNA. I probably shouldn't use the word infection, but like a good, uh, you know, yeah. vaccine. Yeah. And how you do that actually matters. Mm. You know, the best way to build capability is through practicing every day, mm. small changes to routines and rhythms. You know, there's a lot of behavioral mm. science, right? But how you actually, once you've defined what great looks like, then how do you yeah. build the program that really builds that muscle to stick? Because if you just yeah. train on it, it goes away like the video from the couch, right? So you've got to really yeah. do it differently. And what would you say to, because it sounds like something that, of course, you can do this at an organizational level, and this can be like a big HR program, but it's also something that someone can just pick up individually, right? Someone can say, you know, I want to be that great leader because great leaders really matter. And so I'm going to shadow someone and therefore I'm going to build a stronger team. And the more that I have consistency um, and longevity in my team, the better we will all perform. Are there some other reasons for leaders to get really excited about this and basically start shadowing people and understanding uh, why they're so good at what they do and how to apply that? You know, HR people are excellent, but with all due respect, they can't systematically upgrade because they're not there every day, yeah. right? Yeah. And first of all, they don't have the budget. Second of all, they're not there every day. You know, third of all, yeah. they don't know where to hang in the routines and rhythms of the day, the yeah. little moves that build muscle, right? Like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like, like you don't want to create something that's too hard to do. You can't lift the weight. You don't want to create something mm -hmm. that is so easy to do. It builds no muscle. Like you want like for me, the 12 pound weight, right? Because that's just the right mix of doable but yeah. stretch. And yeah. so the only one who can do it is the leader. The HR can facilitate yeah. the process, right? Yeah. But the leaders need to own it um, and need to yeah. drive it. So the good news is you could start to, you know, I, what I would do is put together a team of your top people and, you know, and start facilitating them through that yeah. process and have them roll out like, you know, the tips and tricks and new ways of doing mm. things a little bit at a time to mm. let people absorb them. Because if you say, okay, Debbie, you've got to lead more like Dan leads. And, and that is like a, you know, 180 turn. I'm never going to yeah. get there. So it's yeah. just like, give me a little bit to try. Let me yeah. see how it works. Yeah. Let me get another little bit six weeks later. Let me try it, see how it works. Let me get another little bit. So you're actually building a process of always looking for mm -hmm. how to make managers better, which is good mm -hmm. because work is always changing. And so mm -hmm. what is good today may not be good tomorrow, right? Mm -hmm. Like just go pre-COVID good manager, post-COVID good manager. That's a reason hybrid work isn't working for a lot of people because yeah. people don't know how to manage, inspire, motivate, coach, connect, mentor distributed teams. They only knew how to do it in the hallways. So you have to continuously surface what great looks like and spread it out. So let's talk about that, right? Because you wrote a really great 
piece for HBR called Does Your Hybrid Strategy Need to Change? What inspired that piece? And what are some of the things that you would recommend people if they're still trying to navigate that whole hybrid and remote work conundrum? Well, what motivated me to write that piece was, you know, when you saw, you told me when we started, you listened to my TED Talk, I'm flattered, thank you. I did that TED Talk in October of 2021, okay? And even then, I was frustrated, like, you know, like, trust your people and get data, right? Like, like I was like, you've got to invest in making it work. And it's so interesting to me that people are spending a lot of time on executive teams for office-based workers. So let's separate out the 70% Mm -hmm. of the global workforce that can't do what I'm doing and and you're doing and work from home, right? So I'll separate out frontline workers from office-based workers. But for office-based workers, where hybrid comes in, you know, people said, okay, we're going to perseverate on what the model should be, three days, two days, fixed days, minimum, like which days. And then they issue a memo and they expect it to take the dread of memo <laughs> and or the policy right and right. to me like the analogy i i use all the time is that's like saying you know years ago well we need to move from mainframe to cloud right and that's it that's your memo yeah and you expect yeah. it to happen well they figure it out guys yeah figure it out. you now. need yeah. money you need capability you need a strategy you need to align on like so many different things for your data stack you know, and what your tech stack, all that kind of stuff. And so telling people you have to work hybrid mm-hmm. and just stopping there and not investing and in building the capabilities to rethink work, of course, it's not going to deliver. So you're seeing mm-hmm. people saying, oh, hybrid work doesn't work. Well, is it that it doesn't work or you didn't even try to make it work, right? And yeah. so, so I wrote the article to really share some data about how to make it work. And one of the mm. key insights, so this is from another survey, another What the Flex survey I did. You know, we asked people, you know, for the different types of work they do, again, mm. how much time do they spend on it? And where mm. are they at their best? And what's fascinating is, and this data is in the article, is that managers and executives and individual contributors mostly agree yeah. Focus work and admin work is best done remotely. Well, think about it. You could remotely. concentrate. You won't get interrupted, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Interactive work, culture, team building, training, onboarding, best done together in person. Mm. So yeah. They're, yeah. they're largely aligned, okay? Yeah, largely, yeah. Largely aligned. There's two differences that are important. One mm. one difference is really important is I said mostly agree. So even mm. for admin and focus work, there's like 10% of people who disagree. They rather uh, be together for that. And those are probably your extroverts who like real yeah. like from a mental health perspective have a really hard time yeah. being home alone all day. They're yeah. probably people who don't have apartments they could work from, right? You know, too many roommates, too loud, maybe not safe, you know, sadly. Yeah. And on the flip side, for interactive work and you know collaborative work and team building, there's 10% who want to be remote for that. Who are those? The reverse. Mm. They're your introverts. Yeah. You know, like for people who are neurologically diverse, it actually is real hard effort to be around people and socialize. It takes a lot of energy. Yes. 
So of course, if we have to collaborate, let's do it remotely. I'll, I'll raise my hand on that one. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I know people. Uh, yes, yeah, I'm yeah, related yeah. to a lot of people that way. And in, in tech talent, there tend to be more of those, honestly. Yeah. So they have a combination yeah. of folk, a lot of focus work, right? Code writing, quality testing, mm-hmm. etc. And they mm-hmm. tend to be more introverted than extroverted, right? On average, mm-hmm. all don't. I'm not, you know, stereotyping at all. But which means two things. You need to, for the first time ever, think mm-hmm. of post-COVID, think about what work happens when and where and, yeah. and how does that change by the team. So a manager, yeah. we talked a lot about True. manager capabilities. Yeah. Two new capabilities that never existed before is frontline mm-hmm. managers in office-based jobs. Knowledge, I hate the word knowledge work because what does that mean for everyone else? But what other people call white collar or knowledge work, what I call office-based yeah. or desk-based work, you need the muscle as a leader to say, okay, here's our rhythms and routines. Here's what we mm-hmm. come together for. Here's what we come apart for. And you yeah. actually need to help your team find a collective rhythm and routine that they never did mm-hmm. before because either they were all always there or they were all always at home during COVID. So, so that's one muscle you need. And then the other mm-hmm. muscle, as I talked about, is how do you connect with, inspire, motivate, coach, mentor, develop distributed teams, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that you have to do the muscle building on both of those. And we actually needed the distributed team muscle before COVID because no one sat in the same hallway <laughs> yes. as everyone. We just need it yeah. like 10x more now. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that's the investment. And besides, mm. there's also investment in tools and technology. What do we give people sure. to set up their home offices? What's our commute policy? Yeah. When do we get everyone together? Because now culture building doesn't happen osmotically or serendipitously we have to be intentional and purposeful about it we need to get people together one week a quarter which is roughly what seems to be working no study on that but that seems to be it for remote companies a week a quarter of intense socializing so those are all things you have to figure out and enable just like when you went from mainframe to cloud you had to figure out systems you had to rework work processes the only difference between that is humans are organic not linear like computers. So we're a little harder. We're a little harder, yes. which means yeah. it may take a little more time and investment. Anyhow, that's a long answer to your question. Why did I write that article? Yeah. And very interestingly, you're talking about how this has to be done at a manager level because they know their team the best. And therefore, you know, you can accommodate all the differences between teams. But then obviously, even within your team, you're going to have different kinds of people, right? You may have more introverted people, you may have more extroverted people, you may have people doing different kind of jobs. So even for an individual manager, like how do you even get a sense for what is the right rhythm for my team? How do I, how do I create my version of that the be- in the best way possible? You know, people with elder care responsibilities yeah. or childcare yeah. or sick relative care, right? Or, you know, single people who need to be dating at night or else they will stay yeah. single, not by choice, right? And so you have to actually make the implicit explicit you have to have the Mm. conversations around you know what are your norms gosh it's probably 15 years ago now i started my first client when i got into the people space was my own company Mm. so i used to be all in strategy and operations and think the people side was a little fluffy and then for a random set of reasons i started collaborating with a harvard business school professor who wanted to study how we work 
better. Anyhow, mm. long story short, the process we ended up creating that is still in place today, a decade and a half later, is one where when and because we're always forming new teams because it's consulting, so you're yeah. always on new projects. So you yeah. can't just learn it once and go with it. You're like constantly is we actually have a norming document that everyone mm. fills in at the beginning of the case. And it's things like, are you a morning person? Are you an evening person? What does is, what is end of day mean to you? Like after mm. hours, if it's an emergency, what's the best way to get in touch with you? You know, what do you do for fun? Like, like mm. just so that the team could have a facilitated conversation to create a set of norms. What technology, are you a like, call me, text me, Slack me, email me, like, WhatsApp me, like, right? Let's align on some channels, right? That's all in there. Mm. And then you could come up with a set of norms. And then mm. every week, literally, you do a retrospective on how we worked. Not just on the yeah. work, but how we worked. What worked, what didn't, what should we change for next week? And even, by the mm. way, if the norms work great for everyone, the work of the work may change next week. And so you want to... Yeah change it up because you have a different set of deliverables. Like a finance team mm. at the end of the month has to close the books. They're going to be in a room mm. together. The rest of the month, who you know, or the rest of the quarter, who cares yeah. where you are, right? So anyhow, getting that... So you call that a, a norming document? Yeah, we call it, um, let's mm. fill in our team norms. And we just have a template. Mm. That makes so much sense. And also speaking about workplace joy, you're going to feel so much more joyful when A, you get asked about your preferences and then B, that people are actually acting on them. And that can make a huge difference, right? If no one ever asks you, how do you want to communicate? And people just keep calling you, even though you're more of like a text person or everyone keeps texting you, but that makes you super anxious and you, why don't they just pick up the phone? So just having that conversation and then starting acting on it is already huge. But then the optimization on that I love that end of week. Well, here's what we thought was the best way to work. How is it actually working? And then optimizing over time. It's a very different approach than I'm sure 99% of people even listening to this. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And, you know, it's funny, though, because even that you have to manage. Because what happens is, is mm. the junior brand new people, they'll be like, I could answer emails until whenever you need me to, or, you know, yeah. I yeah. have no hobbies or right. Like, so we actually have ex like facilitators work with people to get what they really mm. think out on the table. And we do these like weekly or biweekly pulse checks so we can yeah. get, because any organization is hierarchical. Any team has a leader, the junior people, you know, are going to feel like they're being evaluated. And so even with these wonderful tools, this gets to the muscle yeah. building, you need to yeah. support people to speak up because then yeah. you'll have people who you think you're happy, you think you're happy, you think you're happy. What, they're quitting? So you can have all yes. the great process and scaffolding in place to hold it up, yeah. but um, it still needs some support. Oh, for sure. When I interviewed uh, Tracy Brower, who actually was the very first guest on the episode, uh, VP at Steelcase, and she wrote a book called uh, Happiness at Work. And she said, yeah, the, the worst thing you can, can ask people is, are you happy at work? Because actually it makes people think about, hmm, am I actually that happy? Um, and, 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 and if they're really unhappy, they're not going to say that to you anyway, right? So then basically you're going to get that yes, 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 until you get the resignation letter. So... 
Speaking of happiness and also about something you mentioned earlier in the conversation that we spend so much time on admin work, I'm still kind of thinking about that 30% spending on admin work is way too much. I'm sure most people hate it. Uh, now, obviously, we're in the age of AI. Do you see a role for AI? I know you, you wrote about AI taking over menial tasks. Do you see a role for AI to, to reduce that 30%? And then if that's something that it can do today, like what does it look like three years from now, five years from now? Well, everyone wants to know that, right? Like there's no crystal ball. <laughs> but, you know, no doubt AI and generative AI are going to change our jobs uh, the same way automation changed factory work, right? I think we need to be very careful to keep hmm. joy front and center in the equation when we're looking, because right now everyone's scrambling use case, use case, use case, right? Mm -hmm. And they're looking for productivity. But mm. if you take away the stuff that gives me the most joy, not intentionally, maybe mm. that's not such a high ROI use case, ROI use case, because you're gonna lose me unless you wanted to lose me, you know, but if you take away the stuff that sucks the joy, like the Dementors in Harry Potter, right? They just like that, oh, please, right? Or maybe generative AI could make it more fun, you know, like push your thinking in different ways. And so I don't know what exactly will look like, you know, of course it's gonna be very different, but I wanna make sure in our scramble to redesign mm -hmm. work and leverage all these tools, we do it with an eye on the prize to joy in addition to productivity. Mm. I assume you, the productivity is going to have it. Yeah, to increase joy. Mm. And, and the yeah. best way to do that is co like create with people. Like, yes. you know, give yes. them the agency over it. Like, like okay, we have this tool it could theoretically yeah. do this, but before we do, let's think about the parts of the job we love. What would make us love it more? Yeah. Let's think about the parts of yeah. jobs we hate. Let's stretch to see yeah. is there a way to get down the hate with it, right? So yeah. not only will it be better for what mm. you needed to do, also people will feel like it's their creation as opposed to it's being done to yeah. them. There's a sense of, of buy-in. And I think you can probably go back to your pillars of what drives joy at work and something like having access to the right resources, right? So this is basically an infinite resource because it can be both a mentor and a coach and a, you know, like a, suddenly I can create images and I can be a good writer. And so therefore like this should be a really important tool in that, in that toolkit. Yeah, but even go back to what drives, you know, joy and retention. You know, I have a, a senior person personally supports me. Okay, technology mm -hmm. can't do that. That's it? Yeah, yeah. it can't yeah. do that. Yeah. And even if you get it to like write personalized notes and send them out for you, you still better like yeah. take it off and fill it in with detail only you know, right? About yeah. the person or better yet, you know, have it make a schedule for you, but you block the four hours to call mm -hmm. everyone on your team and you know like whatever so there's it can augment and it could help mm -hmm. you do it more efficiently right but those are the things like you just have to pay attention to be careful and as ai is taking over more parts of the job and making the worst parts better and making the better parts even better one of the things we've seen from recent linkedin data we did some research as well we see that women are actually less engaged in the conversation about ai uh, less likely to want to learn AI, less likely to be using already these AI tools. 
Do you see that as a, as a challenge for women to stay ahead as, as we move into a very AI-driven future? I'd not heard that statistic before. It's surprising to me. Um, did you get any insight into why in your research? Yeah, so basically one of the underlying things that the, the LinkedIn report says is that men as asked, like, why are you motivated to learn AI more? They seem to be more worried about what AI will do to their jobs, and women seem to be a lot less worried. So I think it was like 65% of men said, I see AI drastically changing my role, and only 45% of women. Uh, but then in the same report, it also said that a lot of the roles that are typically held by women are actually more susceptible to be disrupted by AI. And so therefore, that kind of like raises that question, right? Is that then, is there a risk that kind of not actively kind of looking into AI and starting to experiment with it, could that, could that negatively impact people? Absolutely. So my message is women start digging in, ladies, right? Like, yeah. fascinating. That's fascinating. And mm. you, need to, you need to correct for it. Um, it's, you know, what, yeah. what comes to mind, Dan, is when I was a brand new partner at, at BCG back in 2001, a long time ago, uh-huh. there was a, another partner who started to do a, a, like a pilot, a training program on how to be a great rainmaker as a partner. And she mm-hmm. very quietly said, I want to get all the women partners in this program, right? right. And I personally benefited from that. Mm-hmm. So if you do care about the percentage of you know women in your workforce then yeah what you found is really important and we should pay attention yeah. to it so we're at the end of our time today sadly for me i would love to ask you one final thought on the future of work or one wish that you have for how work develops in the future yeah i'm an optimist um <laughs> always and i really believe the workplace can shift from an us Mm. versus them, you know, like Mm. employer versus employee. And and I think the hybrid debate made that even further apart and corporate versus the field and hybrid made that, you know, and COVID made that further apart. I would love to get the workplace to be more like, okay, we are all in it together. We're all Mm. in it together. And we all have a seat at the table for rethinking what Mm. work is so that we can all reap the benefits, benefits, financial benefits of productivity, you know, and the financial and the work-life benefits and the joy and sense of accomplishment benefits. So I'd love to see workplaces become, and I believe they can, to become much more employee-centric so it Mm. gets rid of this us versus them divide, but it's, hey, we all are just trying to get the best out of everyone. And somehow COVID made that feel further apart. So I think we have to put the effort in to get it closer together. Okay, I love that. Thanks so much for being on. Thanks for having me. It's fun to talk about my favorite topics. So thanks for being interested. That's great. Great to have you. That was BCG Managing Director Debbie Lovic, who has been studying how to make work work for decades. Here is what I picked up from this fascinating conversation. Number one, the link between joy and retention. Debbie's research reveals that employees who enjoy their work are far more likely to stay with their company. The retention rate more than doubles for those who find joy in their job compared to those who don't. Number two, work types and environments. It's also fascinating to hear how different tasks affect our happiness. Focused work, administrative tasks, and interactive work uniquely shape our job satisfaction. 
Equally important is the environment, remote or in office, and how it aligns with those tasks. Number three, the role of management. The role of management in all of this cannot be overstressed. Managers are pivotal in fostering an environment where employees feel valued, supported, and fairly treated. Satisfaction with someone's manager, access to necessary resource, equality in opportunities, and support from senior leaders are all crucial factors for employee happiness and retention. Number four, the evolving employee-employer relationship. The conversation today with Debbie also highlighted the evolving relationships between employers and employees, necessitating a personalized approach to the employee needs and preferences. It's all about understanding that each employee's requirements and aspirations are as unique as the customers that our companies cater to. And finally, the future of work and AI's role. AI's potential to reshape our jobs by enhancing joy and reducing mundane tasks is enormous. But, says Debbie, it's crucial to balance AI implementation with an eye on employee happiness alongside productivity. Don't let AI remove the work that you enjoy doing. So in conclusion, Debbie shared an optimistic vision for the future of work, where it's less about us versus them and more about employers and employees collaborating to redefine the workplace, focusing on mutual benefits, productivity, and a shared sense of accomplishment and joy. Join me again in two weeks when I speak to Liam Martin, the co-founder and CEO of Time Doctor, a time tracking tool, and the founder of Running Remote, a conference about remote work since 2017. In this interview, we discuss time tracking data, focusing on outputs, managing asynchronously, and why remote companies are more profitable.